Today's guest is Lola Berry, an accomplished Australian wellness expert, nutritionist, author, actor, television host, and a dear friend who has been a great mentor and inspiration in bringing this podcast to life. Lola holds a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutritional medicine and has been active in the media industry for over a decade, appearing on popular shows such as Studio 10, The Today Show, and The Project. Lola is the author of 11 health and wellness books, and is also an ambassador for several Australian household brands. Lola hosts a popular podcast called Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry, where she interviews notable figures about their failures and how they've helped them grow. In this episode, Lola's personality is truly infectious. Her passion, determination, and unwavering self-belief shine through. It inspires us to embrace the idea that it's never too late to start over, and that failure is not a bad thing. Lola emphasizes the importance of living in alignment with one's purpose and encourages listeners to become their own biggest supporters and cheerleaders. After listening to this episode, I hope you'll feel motivated to take action towards your dreams and your goals, knowing that with self-belief, anything is possible. Hello and welcome. My name is Steph Prem and I'm your host for Mindful Mess, a podcast where we speak with some of Australia's favourite sporting, health and business personalities about how they find balance in today's world. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are. How does she sound? You sound wonderful. You sound gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lola, Ferry, welcome to Mindful Mess. Steph Prem, thanks for having me. Honoured to be here, mate. It's always a pleasure. I think much like the conversations that we have, you know, as mates, we're very good at discussing the mess. We're good at discussing the chaos or, you know, as you would call it, the, the failures. Yeah. Totally. In the pursuit of, dare we say, balance or happiness or, the, you know, the life that we're, we're trying to live, I think you and I sit very comfortably in that space. Well, I think it's the only way to get to where you want to get to, to be honest. Like you've got to sit in that mess and or at least wade your way through it somehow. And so true. You know, we know each other. Well, sort of I think our relationship stemmed from working in the wellness industry. Mate, yonks ago. Together, forever, forever ago. You know, we're both pretty driven humans. We're both very passionate about spreading the word or, if you will, I think education or our passion about health and well-being and living a, a passionate and healthy life, if you will. I still remember the first time I ever saw you. You came to Sydney. I was living in Sydney and you did a Studio PP pop-up in Sydney. <gasps> That's when we met. And you were head to toe in pink, like you were wearing something in pink and I was like, she's like a Fitzbo Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) That's the greatest compliment. And I think I would have been like 26, 27 and we're the same age. It would be over 10 years ago now. I think you're right. Yeah, in SIDS. Good old SIDS. that is how we met and you came to my event. It meant so much to me. And you had braids. You had like pigtail braids. (laughs) Do you remember? I think that's when I first started out and I was – touring yeah. with Studio PP before I had studios, before I had bricks and mortar. And, you know, it's funny. I look back on that now and that's what everyone's doing is, tour, you know, with yoga mats and events yeah. and whatever. And You were the OG, mate. No, I've never done Pilates before either. That's, that's right. my first Pilates because I'm a yogi, as you know. That's true. That's true. You're actually very into Pilates these days though. 
Yes, yes, you got me hooked. <laughs> and I did. I'm very proud of that, actually. But like I was saying, I think we bonded not just over Pilates, but over the fact that you and I, I think, had a, ver- a love-hate relationship with the health and wellness industry in in a positive way, I think, because you and I are just very raw, we're pretty open you know, you're very comfortable in your own skin. And I think that's what makes you so magnetic. That's what I love about you as a friend. But I think anyone that spends time with you picks up on that and and can resonate with that. Is that something that you think you've always had or is that something you work on? Oh, mate, I just don't do fake. (laughs) Like I just don't. Like I have this saying, if I meet a dingo, which is my word for not a nice person or you might have to believe that a dickhead, but um. I say, like, if if I feel uncomfortable when I meet someone, I'll be like, oh, they feel fake as press on nails or, oh, they're a bit takey or, and so, because I don't do fake, it naturally kind of like cuts a lot of people out. <laughs> like, you know, you quickly are like, oh, this friendship isn't real and you walk away pretty quickly or sometimes it's a bit more painful and takes longer. So, yes, I guess that indirectly means I'm real because I don't like that feeling of something that feels, you know, that feeling. I know people listening are going to be like, you know, when you meet someone, you're like, oh, that's a bit, oh, they, they, they kind of ask something of mm. me that feels like a bit asky or takey. And, and I think because I don't like that feeling, my pet hate is like I don't like the feeling of being taken advantage of. I just mm. don't know. I think because you and I have also made our own luck and worked hard to get to where we've got to if somebody is like, hey, can you just – can you just do this thing for me? I'm like, whoa, that's, I don't know you, <laughs> you know, so. And you and I probably aren't naturally the kind of people that would do that either. So that's another reason yeah. why it doesn't sit, You're super giving. You're so, I'm, I'm still like grappling that you're going to buy me lunch. I'm like, I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> you're so giving. You're so, I remember when I was in quarantine and you sent me like a juice cleanse. Do you remember? Yes. You were by yourself for 14 days. It was the best little like every day. And I, every day I was like, it's juice time. I love it. Vice versa though. I think you and I have always been generous to each other in times of need. And you've, you were very giving at the studio and back to a lot of my clients and and what what you used to teach at the studio. Yin yoga, candlelit yin yoga. We did that workshop. On a Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was brilliant. And your mama bear came to the workshop. And dad fell asleep and snored through your class, (laughs) mortified. (laughs) No, that's that's a good sign with yin, your yoga stones. We're going to go with that. Um, (laughs) I was mortified at the time. But no, coming back to, like you said, I think you build your own luck and, and you're not afraid of the work if we want to call it that, and you've done a lot of work on yourself. And I think that's part of what I mean when you say you're raw and you're authentic because you're very open about how hard you are willing to work and how much work you do on yourself to get the best out of yourself because then I think that's what makes you great to others around you. So I love working. I enjoy There's a saying in drama school and it's like, do the work, Mm. like verbatim, Mm. just do the work. work. And there's also a famous saying in drama school that actors are reasonable. This is a, not all actors, but some actors can be lazy. Like the amount of actors are like, yeah, I'm an actor. And I'm like, oh, cool. Where do you train? What? I don't, I don't train. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's this, it's, it's just weird because it's like you've got to work so hard like your life depended upon it in, in an industry where the rate of failure is 98% and you would get this being an Olympian and then you get the, you know, it's it's weird because it's like these really creative, like amazing souls that sometimes don't have the work ethic. So I've always known both as a nutritionist and in acting school, because I've been training now for six years, I've always known I'm not the smartest or most talented person in the room, but I'm willing to go the extra mile and work the hardest. And so for me, work ethic is 
kind of my non-negotiable. And then you kind of touched on then like mental health work as well, like working on yourself. So I'm also six years in with my therapist and that's, Mm. I would say that's a superpower for like life, especially we're both in our 30s. I think if you've had a therapist for this, like a long period of time in these, you kind of have this really good compass where you can kind of be like, oh, I'm off kilter today. Mm. What are the things I can do to check in? And I've only learned that through deep diving with therapy. I love that. And I think it's a conversation that needs to be, needs to happen more openly. In sport, I mean, same thing. There's, I think in every industry, there was girls and guys in sport that were so talented, just naturally gifted mm you know, and they could sit in the top 10 in the world without even trying, right, and yeah. doing the work because they, they're gifted. But the to to be a constant, like to do well over time, you have to do the work. 100%. You know, it's a long game. A long game and you have to work on your, on your physical body but you also have to work on your mental game, exactly like you said. And we were taught that in sport and I think that stigma was removed because you were seeing a sports psychologist mm. or you were working on your mental game for your craft or your sport and – you're now saying, you know, that's been the last six years for you and that's helped you, you know, in this transition of of your life. But I think it needs to be so normalised and I think people forget that we, you know, need to train our head as much as we train our, our physical body. Uh, I spend a bit more time in LA, mate. People have got three, four therapists. <laughs> like it's so celebrated here. But the people are like, yeah, I've got a relationship counselor. Oh, I've got a hypnotherapist. Oh, oh, and then I've got my psychotherapist. Like honestly, just chill in LA a bit more and you'll be like, therapist is like, it's like everybody's thing that they do. In Australia, I understand it's a bit like, even I've noticed like, I love my parents, but the, uh, my parents' generation, it took them a little while to go, because I was like, I'm not going to a therapist because I need to... Uh, there's something wrong with me or I'm broken. I'm going because I want to process stuff so I can be a better human today. Mm. And and so I think it's that, it's removing the thing of like, oh, there's there's something wrong with me so I need a therapist. No, 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 no. Like when you feel good and clear, go to a therapist and process stuff that you might have habits and things that you subconsciously do that you don't even realise. And so I, I always say to people, don't go when you're broken, go when you feel good. I love that. It's such a strong, such a strong message. Mm. And like you said, it's the day-to-day. It's the work we do yeah. over time, daily, weekly, monthly. You said six years. You know, it's long career, the long game, as you said. It's And you touched on nutrition. I mean, you've very much gone in a different direction now, but I think most most of us, especially in Australia, know you as, you know, one of Australia's you know, or if not Australia's favourite nutritionist <laughs> for a very long time. I mean, you've come a long way since Fruits and Roots. Oh, mate. Yeah, well, that was a YouTube series that literally someone thought I was filming a porno because of the name. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know and that. And I shit you not, I rocked up to this location in Mount Warning. We were filming their water and I didn't have a website yet, so I sent it from a Gmail account before Gmail was a thing. And um, and I rocked up and we were filming about this beautiful Mount Warning water. And she's like, do you want to use a helicopter? And we were like, yeah, of course. So we filmed like this amazing, this is before drones existed. This is like 20 years ago now, 15 years ago. We filmed this helicopter sequence and she's like, I was like, yes, yeah, so can I interview you about your water? And she's like, isn't this a porno? And I was like, what? And she's like, fruits and roots. Lola Berry, sending from a Gmail account. And I was like, uh, no, this is not a photo. How funny. I can't. And I was only like 22 at yeah. the time. Trying to 21. spread your word of nutrition. Yeah, not my legs. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, how funny. That humble is beginnings, mate. The humble <laughs> beginnings of fruits and roots. Uh, well, I really can see why you went in a different direction now. It's, yeah. it's all making sense. <laughs> but you think, I think for you and I, well, I, I think from the outside looking in, it's assumed that working in the wellness industry or working in the health space that, you know, we've always been well. Ah, uh, yeah. And that that's how we live our life and, and that's how we must be all the time. But, you know, like for me, my I think my whole career in the health and wellness space, obviously sport aside, stemmed from my injury in sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what fueled the obsession of being well and physically well, mentally well, and coming back and helping other people along the way on that journey, definitely. So it wasn't from that place of always being well, well, yeah. you know. And, I mean, you've studied a Bachelor of Health Science. You obviously were a nutritionist for years. I mean, is did that obsession stem from, you know, you've, you've, you've spoken very openly about you've had a challenging relationship with food growing up. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that you've asked this question thinking I'm going to be like, yeah, I had an eating disorder and that's what got me into nutrition. No way. Do you know what it was? I was. I still remember I was on the tram on the way to drama school. So I went straight out of year 12 thinking I'd be Kate Blanchett. And I was studying Obviously. performing arts at Monash. I think you've got a performing arts background too, if I remember correctly. But, um, and I remember my tram was going past Endeavour College, which is a health college in, was called Australian College of Natural Medicine back then. And I was like, oh, if all this acting stuff doesn't work out, I'm going to train as a nutritionist because I just think it's interesting and cool. And... It ended up I started training as a nutritionist and like and I said this to my therapist, this is gonna sound really entitled and crazy, but like I said to my therapist, like I think year two of my working with him on my mental health, I was like, Oh my god, I've been living my backup job this whole time. This whole wow. time I was a nutritionist. It was always my backup if I didn't make it as an actor. And I and I was like, Oh my god, I feel like I've cheated myself, you know? Mm. And if I look back, like, oh, my God, I loved my nutrition career. I got to write books, work in TV. So in actual fact, I bought the two skill sets together, mm. like the acting training with the the nutritional medicine study. But, like, I realized that I actually got into nutrition as a weird, like, backup plan mm. that kind of worked out really, really well. The eating disorder stuff actually started when I started working in television. Wow. And, and someone came up to me after I'd done a morning TV segment and they said, you look too pudgy to wear yellow on TV. And so that was just like one of many examples. And there was like a lot of bullying on YouTube that'd be like, she's a failure of a nutritionist, isn't she? She's a bit fat. She's a bit pudgy. It was still a formative time, definitely, in terms of somewhat healing, if that's the right word, that relationship, but also it affected it as well. Yeah, my healing didn't really happen until I had proper therapy though like I I thought for so many years like you touched on just before there was a stigma to seeing a therapist but mm. I went through a tough breakup in my like I think 30 and I was like stuff this this is a really yucky one it was mm. like no closure so my my a-type personality was like I can't control this no no closure and so I, that's when I found therapy and within three weeks we had fully wrapped up this relationship and I said can I keep coming <laughs> And so that, and and that's what actually made me face all the eating disorder stuff. And we found we through spending so much time working on the eating disorder, he was like, "You literally compensate for other people." He's like, "You're not even honoring yourself. You're doing things because you think other people want you to eat." And I'd get such, 
anxiety over our mm. work wellness events that were full of a lot of fakies, like some nice people, but some fakies, you know, mm. and I'd get a lot of uncomfortable, I'd feel really uncomfortable and then eat to feel comfortable. Yes. Know? Yes. It becomes part of the pattern. Yeah. Totally. But you did write 10 cookbooks. Well, you've, yeah. you've written 11, you've written 11 books, 10 of which were cookbooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that time. I, I did love that time. It, it, it was unreal and I am so lucky to have created those books. And to be honest, like the stuff that like lit me up was actually the two weeks I'd be on set shooting it like and we'd have a full team and it was like and it makes sense that that creative stuff was what I loved and I'd get a videographer on board and we'd be doing and now like full circle back doing acting training, voice training and like I'm like, oh, my God, that's it was the creative stuff that kept me in there so long ago. Yes, I understand health and, yes, I was passionate about inspiring and helping people, but really I was also feeding my creative purpose. And so I just think, yes, I don't regret any of that time whatsoever. It was, And I worked with some of the coolest people and mm. had such a ball. But also, like, I believe in honouring your purpose and there's nothing wrong with changing purposes in your mid-30s and that's what I'm doing. I think most would say it's it's very brave and, I mean, you've touched on, you've, you've had a lot of challenges along the way. You touched on it just before about even, you know, bullying or setbacks and going back to how we first met. When I first met you, you told me the Bin the Berry story. Oh, did I tell you that when we first met? That was one when we first met, like one of our first times we hung out and you told me the Bin the Berry story. And this is all before cancel culture. This was before cancel culture. So I was getting cancelled before cancel culture was wow. a thing. Right? Can you, you have to share yeah. the story. If you're comfortable, yeah, you yeah, have yeah, to yeah, share yeah. the no Bin the Berry story. So I was bringing out cookbooks and it was doing really well. And my roommate slash business partner at the time was like, why don't we bring out an online di- online diet plan? Like every other health person was doing Sarah Wilson was doing it, Jessica Powell, everyone was doing a health, of- because you make the profit, right? And it's not a printable thing. It's a PDF. It's all... And I was like, oh, far out. All right. So I wrote this four-week diet plan. And he he came home one day and he goes, what are we going to call it? And I was like, I don't know, four-week diet plan? He's like, boring. (laughs) What else can we call it? And I'd just gone through a tough breakup and I'd demolished a family-sized block of Cadbury's Marvelous Creations. I do love Marvelous Creations. Like the whole block and family. And I was like, I wish we could call it Stop Being a Fat Bitch. And he goes oh, my God, we've got to call it that. And I was like, oh, no, 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 my publishers will murder me and my agents will murder me. We cannot do that. And he's like, no, we need to shine a light on the mental dialogue of that females have. And I was like, okay. And then it was called that, but underneath it said, change your mental dialogue, change your life. But no one saw the subtitle. They mm. just saw that and everyone saw it as a really personal attack, even though I was sharing my own experiences in a bid to help others. And I totally fucked up by doing that. And I, to this day, apologize for my actions on that experience. But it was really amazing how, like, I thought I had this online community and how quickly it turned. Mm. And other other health people with profiles turned on me as well publicly, which was like, that was like literally stabbed in the back. But I was Mm. like, wow. And... It was it was crazy because like Daily Telegraph had this story, career suicide, you know, and then oh. a current affair ran this story and it was mental. But the the cool thing was like, and so there were photos of my books in bins with the hashtag bin the berry. And, and in this moment I was like, I fucked up. I've done the wrong thing. But like I'm human and I apologize. Within two hours I was like, I'm sorry. And I put all that on Instagram and said sorry. 
And then I just kind of like went quiet for a couple of days and then I was like legally gagged. So I wasn't allowed, all my contracts got put on ice and Mm. I wasn't allowed to talk to media. And then I was allowed to do when Instagram had 15 second vids, I was allowed to do a 15 second vid apologizing and that ran on a current affair. Wow. Yeah. How do you personally manage that kind of backlash for yourself in that moment? Like, of course, you did a public apology and everything that's, you know, you needed to do professionally. But, like, personally, how do you manage the internal dialogue and how do you look Uh, after yourself in in times like that? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't found therapy by that stage. I was, like, late 20s then. I, I just went to yoga. Like, a really lovely local yoga studio reached out and just said, don't you don't need a post for us, you don't need to do anything, here's a two-week pass, you just need to be on the mat. And wow. that was really nice, just like a kind act. But I will say I remember parking my car, going to yoga, and someone accosted me on the street and was like, oh, how does it feel about stop being a fat bitch? And I was like, oh, you know, like I just wanted to get to yoga and like have my little healing time. But I can tell you on one hand how many people had my back and it wasn't many. Like, you know wow. what I mean? Like when the chips are down, mate, you get to know who your real friends are. That's true, and they're the they're the friendships that you nurture, and they're the, yeah, so they, they become like, your inner circle. Yeah. Something like that. And I, I had a publicist once many years ago, so it's fine to talk about it. But I used to say that that was the best career lesson of my life, and the publicist was like, "You can't." It was an old book publicist from many years ago, and she was like, "You can't keep saying it's the best career lesson of your life because it's a massive failure." And I was like, "But it taught me to back myself. It taught me to apologize when I f up." It taught me who my real friends were. It taught me who's there when the chips are down. So that's why for me it's a huge gift and like a messy moment mm. that actually made me learn who the real people in my life were. Wow. I think I know the answer to this, but I've never asked you as a friend, what is your favourite book that you've released? What's your favourite title out of your books? I think I know. Do you? But I, I'm interested. Okay. So the first book that was a bestseller was The Happy Cookbook. So I love that cover because that cover was so much fun. It's like taken on a, out the front of a hippie wagon. I was like bohemian stuff. But so for me, it's all got to where I am mentally. And so when I shop beauty food, I'd just done my own work trip in the Maldives of all places in Mauritius. And I came back, I was so healthy. I had been swimming in the ocean every day and I just felt like spiritually very at ease with who I was as a human being. I was 30, like I just, I was like, oh, I know who I am now. Oh, you know, I got this like sense of who I was. And so that book for me, I look at that cover and I'm like, I know that like that girl's alive. If I ever get lost, I'll look back at that book. But that resonates. Fun. I've read that book. Yeah. Yeah. I see and the yogs is in it and yes. all this stuff I love. And the the meals in it are less indulgent because they're the way I live every day. Mm. Whereas the other ones, you know, you've got to have like a healthy Mars bar recipe or a healthy Snickers, you know, because you're trying to make sure there are options for everybody no matter what their health journey is, whereas Mm. this one was like such a clean book that I would use as my own kind of like compass. And so I'd say beauty food is like mentally I was at the best part of my author journey. Well, you know I'm a big fan of the cauliflower pizza recipe. So you like 2020, don't (laughs) you? 2020. But I thought uh, you were going to say your latest title. Fearlessly failing. Yeah, and I love it. And I think you've, you've taken it in a different direction, but I think it's, it's all-encompassing of all of the work that you've done. So I think that's what makes it so great. I do love it. Maybe it feels too new or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. When looking back and looking back, I do love it. And that cover was so much fun. To, see how I get so excited about the shoots? Like I'm like, that cover was so much fun to shoot. 
And it was just like I got to like tap into the actor side of me. Anyway, it's just so much fun. I did love fearlessly failing. It was written during COVID though, so there were a lot of changes and there were a lot of like upheavals that no one would know about because like, you know, you just see the finished product. And I think because I'm telling you where I was mentally for all of those books. So interesting. Beauty Food was where I was mentally the most easy myself. Fiercely failing, I wrote half of it here, I wrote half in Byron, I wrote half of it in lockdown in Torquay. Like it was all, ri- it was very higgledy-piggledy. I love the book. I love the outcome and hopefully it helps people. But I know that I was just like, it, it was a very visceral experience and learning journey. Well, I think it comes across like that and that's probably why I love it because it does you know, give you an insight to the mess, which oh yeah, is yeah, what I love, and it, and it's you you know, I I think you're an embodiment of your new brand, fearlessly failing. Like I think while most people, most of us prefer to process failure internally, you know, you're someone yeah. who's very happy living it out loud. I just want to process that sh- that shit quick, mate. And so the quicker I can process it, and if that means sharing it, so what are your tools? What are your tools for coping with failure? Well, I'm in LA, so I fail every single day. So I counted the other day stupidly. I went, I'm on all these, I've got an agent here and I do auditions nearly every day. And I, I've been here for nearly six months. I reckon I've done 3,000 auditions. And of those 3,000, wow. I've had, I've booked three commercials. They've dropped me all 24 hours before. And I've booked three short films, one of which... I could tell, like, they booked me the night before. I'm like, we'll give you 50 bucks. You need to be on American dialect. You need to be there at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And I was like, you fucking kidding me? Like, I need to work with a dialect coach if I'm going to be proper Americana. Um, I don't like to do anything in half. So that's a lot of failure, 3,000, basically five booked gigs and, like, not making many U.S. dollars yet. So I fail all the time. Obviously, therapy we've, I've banged on about. For me, yoga's nature is really important. But if I'm really like I need to escape and just like switch off, I'll take myself to the movies. There's something for me like the second I hear that like, you know, like that, the the Lionsgate or the Columbia, whatever it is, you know, Paramount, as soon as I hear that sound, it just like does something magical to me. I think because as a kid I'd always go to the movies and be like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to be in a movie one day. And so – it's this like it's like this spiritual reset, mm. and also getting to watch healthy artists. escapism. To, yeah, and takes you to a creative place. Yeah, I'm sure. I've known you for a very long time, so I know how hard you do work and how much you put back into yourself. But when there's times, and you and I are open about the fact, there's times when you can't be mindful. You know, there's when mindfulness feels completely out of reach. You know, what are your strategies? binge watch Netflix, like fully just like, <laughs> you know, I will eat a block of chocolate and binge watch Netflix. Sometimes you just need to like chill the F out and like obviously like. Be easier on yourself. Yeah, go gentle. But it's, again, if I knew that I was like really struggling, I'd just say to my therapist, hey, can I get in for a session tomorrow? If I really felt like, oh, the, the, the screws are coming loose right now, like that's my non-negotiable and that's been the difference in me being able to walk away from things that don't serve me and and then level up as a yes. result and not. So, again, therapy for sure. And that helps you move forward? That helps you move? Even just process in the moment if I can't move forward, like if I'm really stuck in something, like we'll just sit with it and I'll be like, this feels really confronting right now or really shitty right now or, you know, it, it, that's just life though, like where, and as an artist, like as an actor, like 
the actors that I look to the most, like you look at them and you're like, you felt pain before, you felt heartbreak mm. before. You can see it in, in someone's eyes if they've felt that stuff. And I just think, well, I think we've all got to like swim in the like the uncomfy waters the every now and then. Yeah. You've, you've interviewed some very interesting people on your podcast. So Fearlessly Failing is not just your book. It's now your life's work, essentially. It's your podcast. I was very honoured to be one of your first guests. You were my first guest. I know we bought you out, I think, ep two or three, but you were my first ep. I was so nervous, Steph. Oh, don't be silly. I was. That's, I was so nervous. You were my first guest. How the tables have turned. Come, we've come <laughs> full so circle. You're so calm, though. You're like really calm. You, feel really, you don't feel nervous at all. We've come full circle. I mean, you're going on 250 plus episodes now of yeah. your podcast, Fearlessly Failing, and you sit in that conversation of of failure, who has been your most surprising or, you know, interesting or surprising guest so far? And w- what did you learn about failure from them? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, so the pod has like morphed as I have, as my passions have morphed. And so like now I'm really in the, the space of like really loving interviewing creatives, like actors. I had the composer of Yellowstone and 1883 on last week and I was just like, Incredible. Oh, I was like that kind of passion to be sitting opposite it and hearing the way he cuts and the way that he like composes to screen. I was just like, oh my goodness, my mind is blown right now that I'm even in the room with this person. But I would say recently I interviewed Anthony LaPaglia, who was like an Australian acting king and his work ethic blew me away. He said to me his superpower is that he has the ability to do a job and then move on to the next one. He doesn't, it doesn't need to define him a job. But I said to him, I go, oh, when I was in Australia, I was in acting class and someone told me that was the exact same age as me, oh, you're not going to make it because you're over 30. You won't make it in America because you haven't made it in Australia yet as an actor. And I mm. looked at her and said, well, I can't really afford to think like that. And Great response. It, and, and I shared it with Anthony on the pod and he goes, they are her parameters and she will absolutely live within those parameters. But they're not your parameters. At all. He's like, there's plenty of work for women in their 30s in television and film. Plenty. And he's like, don't let somebody else's parameters be yours. What a great reframe. Oh, and I was like, mate, that's, I was like, I need this inspiration in my pocket for when I have low days. Bottle, bottle that up. Really inspiring. It's so inspiring and such a glass half full approach, which I think you have to take living here in Hollywood, you know, yeah. now, you know, in, in this massive transition that you, you find yourself in at the moment. you got to stay positive for sure. And I think we touched on a, on our hike earlier, but, you know, we find ourselves in similar stages of life all the time, you and I. Like we've we're always, only two months apart, aren't we? Yeah, but we do, even though we're chasing different things, we, we always find ourselves in these similar headspaces, if yeah, you will. or always, mate. Similar transitions. And I think a big thing that came out, of that was permission. Yeah. Yeah. I've never even thought of, I've never thought about that. It's like giving ourselves permission to do this. I mean, I think a lot of people find themselves in careers that they don't enjoy, yet they're still far too scared to make a change, right? And Mm. they'll stay in that career. I think even as someone who did enjoy your career, you know, you said, you know, even though it can sometimes be a challenging chapter for you, like you're really proud of that nutrition chapter and it, it did set you up for this sort of next phase of life. But, you know, you were happy in your career, but you've still got to your mid to late 30s and decided to make a career change. So many people wouldn't have the bravery. Yeah, it's funny. 
I don't you I find don't, it daunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I ask this to all my podcasts as well in what you're, I'm about to interview you on, on the hot seat, and I go, what's the bravest thing you've done? And, like, I don't know what I'd say if someone asked me because I'm just like I feel like I just chase passion. And mm. so I don't know, like, yes, moving to the other side of the world and all that is, like, scary and confronting and there is an underbelly to Los Angeles, whether you want to admit it or not. Like mm. There are so many murders, it's crazy. Mm. Um, but it, I did a true crime podcast here and I was like, whoa, a lot of shit goes down in LA. But I don't know. I just am like, well, what's the alternative? Not chasing a dream? Oh, I don't want that. I, I would rather chase this dream. And like the people that don't get it will say to me, oh, at least you're not going to have regrets and at least you'll know you tried. And I'm like, mm. oh, my brain doesn't even want to go there. Like my brain doesn't want to be like, at least I gave America a crack. And a lot of people write to me on, on Insta and go, how long are you giving yourself a year, two years to make it? And I'm like, as long as it fucking takes. Mm-hmm. And actually that really pisses me off when people write that to me because I'm like, every journey is different. Like it might take a year, it might take five, it might take... 10. Mm. Fuck, who knows? Mm. But I'm here pounding the pavement. I'm fucking doing it. So, like, eventually it's going to work. It's just about working hard, trusting. Yeah, you got to be a little bit fearless and brave, sure. But it's, I think, like, to get rid of the fear, it's about, like, I would have more fear of not having passion. I love that. So I think it's more important for me personally, and I know, like, I'm not everybody else and I've obviously chosen to delay family and all of that kind of thing in a bid to like honour my career goals and dreams. But well, no big dream comes without sacrifice. And I think it goes back to what Anthony LaPaglia said to you is that it's, you know, you just, you get on with it. Yeah. You know, it's, you go on to that next thing. You're not thinking, you're not sitting in a timeline and giving yourself those boundaries. You know, it's like in sport, it was always like, you're only as good as your last race. Oh, I like that. You know, so every yeah. result, whether it be positive or negative, it doesn't matter. You have to go back and do it over again. Yeah. So you're only ever as good as your last race, but you're not using that to shape everything else. So it's like you're saying, you're just here, you're fighting, you're you're going for it no matter what. There's no yeah. timeline on it for you. You're doing the work, the craft, you're pursuing yeah. this acting dream that you've had and this presenting dream you've had your entire life. But I, I think if I'm speaking from some of those voices – I think a lot of people would worry that they wouldn't be good enough or they would sit in the fear that is, you know, worried about what other people would think about them switching careers and that doesn't even come into your mind. So that is a superpower. Yeah, maybe. I don't give an F what people think, to be honest, because, like, I just want to do the shit that feels real. And so, and I'm hoping that inspires people. That's kind of where my mind's at. I'm like, well, if I'm chasing this dream and that inspires someone else, job jobs are good and you know what I mean? Job done. So I get I get the fear, the doubt, the all that. And I think like I've felt those things along the way. I've definitely felt like the pressures of age and stuff, like in Australian acting schools, like mm. people like you'll only ever be cast as a mum. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm not even ready to be one in real life, let alone act as one, you know what I mean? Wow. And so you come here and there and no one does that. And everyone like, and I say, I've said this before, but like you put a scene up in acting school in Australia and everyone's dead silent. You're their competition, right? So they're sizing you up. You put a scene up in acting school in America, you get cheered going up, you get cheered coming down. Brilliant. And your classmates like, oh my God, I loved what you did there. Oh my God, I'm so proud of you. Like you've got this like camaraderie. Because yes. That's the American way. 
it is the yeah. land of dreams. Yeah. But it's true. Like I found in Australia, everyone sees you as competition. And you I mean, you and I naturally competitive. You're, you know, so career driven. And I mean, obviously I come from a sports background, so I'm naturally competitive. But it's funny, like in business, it's back home, people see it as as a threat. Yeah. Whereas why? over here I found like everyone's puts their hands up, wants to have a coffee with you, yeah. talk about talk shop. Yeah. You know, discuss. It's different. But that's how work happens here. Work happens from that, those coffees. Like I remember, this is not a word of a lie, last year I was hiring a car and I had to swap it with another Australian actor. And so we had never met before, we met. And I handed her the keys and she goes, hey, I've just been cast in this movie. I need to have an Australian accent. I've been in America for so long. Can we just sit down and have a coffee? She's like, I'll pay you. I was like, mate, just get me the coffee. That's fine. <laughs> so we sit down, we meet up. She rocks up with this huge Lionsgate script. I shit you not. So the director's given me the okay to share this with you. We can doctor the script a bit, which means like changing lines to sound more Australian, all that wow. kind of thing. And then I recorded all of her lines. Cut to a month ago, I went to the premiere of that movie. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, And that all came because we met up to literally swap car keys. And she's like killing it. She's in the new Obi-Wan Kenobi and like killing it. Aussie actor over here, chasing dreams. And I just think, oh, like, it's so interesting that over here, like, I don't know, it's just like everybody is kind of, I think because there are so many dreamers here, you just naturally run into people that are also dreamers and you kind of lift one another up. Yes, and you're, they're more open-minded so you can yeah. have those conversations comfortably and maybe without the tall poppy syndrome yeah. that we are. You say that little- to an American and they're like, Tall Pippi? What? (laughs) What is that? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Here it does feel a lot more really inclusive of of wherever you are in your life and whatever your goals are, anything is possible. And supportive of that journey. Yeah. Whereas back home, it's uh, people tend to want to stick to the same narrative sometimes and and growth is scary back home, whereas I think you live comfortably in the growth space. Totally. But can I say something about like – loving Australia and loving being an Australian, like we are so grounded. Aussies are grounded. Mm. And so like when you bring an Aussie over here, because there's so much opportunity, there's so many chances to like thrive and grow. There's also a lot of fake and there's a lot of sharks, people sharks. And there's a lot, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of bullshit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just think like being an Australian – our superpower is like we're earthy. We're, look at Chris Hemsworth in every interview. He's like, yeah, you know, like he's super chill. He's calm. Like I would never want to like, I don't know any other word to describe it rather than this. I never want to poo-poo Australia because it, it it is our superpower over here. Like it's so powerful to like, yeah, have this amazing experience and then just go swim in the ocean. Like that's mm-hmm. what Aussie does. Like they need to be earthy and I love, I love that about Australia and I love going back to like Byron Bay and all that. I think it's, I love both places. You live you live between the two now, between Byron and, and LA. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Are you finding that's creatively helping you? I like both. I I you know me, I chase work though. So I also like go with where the work is too. So like if I was signed to a a, a movie in Atlanta or you know what I mean, New York, mm. I mean I'd be there happily no probs. And if I got an epic gig in Australia, I'd fly back and be in Melbourne no probs. Like I just I'm, I chase work. So, yeah, but I do love them all and obviously Byron Bay is, 
incredible. So it's a beautiful place to go and ground, ground, and <laughs> heal after the chaos of <laughs> LA of six months. Your nervous system's like, I woke up in the middle of the night, three thirty-two a.m. last night to helicopters above my house. You know, that yeah. means they're trying to catch baddies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's life. And then your system just lives in overdrive. You're so, super aware. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that circles back to one of your tools, right? Like you come back to that grounding. Yeah. You have all those things you do for yourself in the overwhelm, which, and I mean, listening to you today, and I think anyone who's listening to this can see that you're so optimistic, you're so driven, and that a lot of the time, probably the thoughts that would come into an everyday person's mind doesn't even cross yours sometimes. But that's the thing, like you, you admitted, like there are those days of where you have those reservations, you have that vulnerability, you have that maybe doubt. And we all have to deal with that. And like you said, you're willing to jump on a plane and chase the work and, and, and do all that. So how do you find the balance? You know, what, how do you push through on those harder days? Literally like in LA, you kind of got to, from what I can understand, you kind of got to slowly work your way up. Like eventually I'll like soon I'm hopefully be auditioning for like procedural drama, like Grey's Anatomy, Chicago Fire, your favorite show. Is it Law and Order, SVU? Oh, don't get That'll me be the next level for me of auditions. So you start where I am now, and I, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is going to take freaking years to get to where I want to get to." If you get a callback, you'll know about it. But if you don't get a callback, you hear nothing. Nada, donuts. Wow. Yeah. Set and forget. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Constantly challenging you. Constant rejection. What What is it that you are enjoying most about acting? Now that you're in it, you're living that life. So I. I believe my natural skill set is more in the TV. Like I, I could do a TV. We're doing a pod now. Like I love podcasting. It makes me feel like like my dream is to be Steve Colbert, like a late night talk show host. Oh my goodness, sign me up now! But I was tra- when I was early on in my acting training. I was doing a Tennessee Williams play, and I had to have a Southern dialect on. I was petrified of it, and it was a really heavy scene off a play called Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and I was Maggie the cat. And it was a scene where my husband was physically trying to abuse me and I was mm. getting turned on by it, mm. right? And it's like an eight-minute monologue effectively with him just trying to hit me. And I was like, oh, wow, this is hard. This is hard, mm. like dialect-wise, like so many things. Like, And also like she's really sexual, like her tapping into that because you have to tap into, into that character yourself. and that energy, yeah. And I remember – when I first put up on stage, it was our first class out of all COVID and I trust that that director is like the best acting teacher I've ever had in my life and I just like was like, Lola, just give yourself over to this experience and something happened where I could feel electricity running through my veins Mm. and it was like something bigger than me and I remember I walked up to the teacher after and I I had my hand on my heart and I said, I've never felt felt that before and he's like, you fully moulded. Like Lola and Maggie became one. And I went to my therapist after and I said, I get it, I get it. Like this is what's so incredible about acting and and this is where like I believe I will always train as an actor until the day I die, whether I get work from it or not. I would like to think that I will (laughs) but there's something, that's where it becomes like an art form and like you are an artist. Whereas when you're a TV host, I think you're an amazing producer and you can read the play and you know what cameras are on and what mics are on and you're kind of like an amazing EP, like you're a great executive mm. And I love that. And that's where I sit comfortably and I love it. And that's why I love podcasting. And I think you're going to have an amazing pod. But the acting is like it is 
otherworldly. And that's mm. like, that's the elixir that like as an actor, I'm like, oh my God, like that That's the addiction. That's and what it, keeps you coming back. And it fits, but it's a good addiction in that like it feeds your heart. And you know that someone might watch that and that might touch their heart. Mm. And that's why I'm in acting. Mm. Imagine that. I know that when I go to a movie, like if I see a really great performance and it touches me in the heart or go to the theatre, I'm like, I'm changed because I've seen that piece of art. I don't have it in terms of acting. Obviously, it's not my craft and my skill, but in sport, it would be like being in the zone. Yeah. You know, that idea of everything goes away. Everything goes away. But I get that feeling TV presenting too and podcasting. Mm. Like I really can be in this like vroom. But the acting thing was even different again where it was like it was literally like some weird magical thing that I was just like, what is going on with me right now? body experience. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I actually talked to Anthony about it as well and he was like, it sometimes happens on stage. And he's like, and when it happens, he's like, you can see every flick of dust. Wow. And it's just, and there's a saying in the theatre world and it's it's when an angel passes on set. And it's that where something just like, goosebumps like other like is the writer with you like something happens that is spiritual or I don't know what it is and the that's magic, why I go back. The essence. That's why I just really want to act. Still want to TV present because I love it but acting. And, and where do you want to take it? What is your ultimate okay. career goal? If fear wasn't a thing, and I know mm-hmm. we've talked about being fearless. And it's not for you. I think we've established that today. <laughs> yeah, but so I'm more comfortable in a, in a sitcom space. So I like funny, I like light, and I think I would naturally sit there. But Closer like, to your personality yeah. and persona, yeah. But I watch anything that Taylor Sheridan has written, Yellowstone, 1883, Sigario, um, Mayor of Kingstown, like all the stuff he's written is like it it hits you in the heart, like, and sometimes with a dagger, you know, mm. and I sit and I watch that and I'm, like, changed. And so, like, to be part of that world, I would just, it would be the most scariest thing I would ever do, but it would be incredible. And that's full-blown drama. That's, like, you are in the world. And like I said, full circle, I had the composer on and he said that Taylor Sheridan, the writer, would give and director producer would give the actors the score to listen to before their scenes wow which is unheard of in like composing world and stuff so yes i just for me like and i always use music for any any character i play and so to be able to like be in that world where it's written almost like poetry or like a novel mm. oh mate sign me up but petrifying well that's why you give everything right so you would give everything for that that is yeah. your yeah. long term goal that it explains everything that you've touched on today why you're doing what you're doing yeah yeah I guess it does <laughs> to get there no yeah, yeah we could talk about it all day I you and I could chat for days weeks anyway but if we were to take just like a beat really quickly a forced if you would pause a moment of mindfulness which essentially is you know focusing our awareness on what we're sensing and feeling in the moment and like I said it's slightly forced But if you could take one now, if you could take a beat outside of everything you've just thought about and discussed and take a moment, can you share with me what you're you're feeling now? Yeah, and actually, and it popped into my head then, but it also popped into my head in yogs this morning. And I was like, I was just like, fuck, thank you. Like, thank you for getting me on this pod, but also, and to the listener for listening, 
but like how lucky that we're even here right now in Los Angeles mm. and being able to chase this dream. Like how grateful. And I think that that's a nice thing to come back to when it feels like the chips are down or it all feels a little bit overwhelming or it gets a bit excitable. It's just like, well, hang on. Thanks. Gratitude. But, yeah, but and and thanks to me for having the balls to chase it and thanks for the opportunities that have led this way and that's why like I am so grateful for the nutrition stuff and the the books like those books, those royalties when they were bestsellers. That's the only reason I'm able to be here, mate. Like I saved mm. my pennies up. So I think just being grateful to even be here right now and and everything is like, yes, you've got to work your butt off. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be grueling. Yes, it's going to be how lucky that we can even do it. What a beautiful way to finish. Mate, I could talk to you all day long. You're always a delight to be around. I mean, I, I always walk away from our catch-ups feeling uplifted, feeling inspired to back ourselves. I think you give anyone around you permission to back themselves. You're such a cheerleader yourself, which is, I think, such a gift or, you know, superpower, which we've touched on today. But I mean, I'm grateful to you. I'm I'm so thankful that you are so honest and you are so open and everything I think you've shared today is so thought-provoking. So thank you to us. Yeah, to us, mate. And congrats on the pod too. So proud of you. We've been talking about it for a little while. Yes, you've been <laughs> a huge cheerleader and support. So oh, thank you. You're a great interviewer. Mate. And um, for letting us see the inner workings of your fearless mind today and, and sharing some of your mess. We are, mate, we are so grateful for that. Happy to share my mess with you any day of the week, mate. Thanks so much for joining me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mindful Mess. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and share from your favourite podcast platform. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are.